0: Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, I don't know, Tom, I heard that we're not starting till 1130, so I just figured I'd get 20 extra minutes to go with the sermon, you know. I, I don't know. Um, no, we, we're going to um, have a little break in between worship and we do the um, fellowship meal and the, the, the shower. Um, one of the things we are doing is we're, we're doing some remodeling. You'll know notice in this um, hallway back here and on this 3rd uh, and 5th grade classroom, we've done some painting, and so you can take a look at that if you want in between time and just kind of visit with one another. Uh, I w- want to say thank you to everyone who came out to our Trunk or Treat uh, last Sunday. That was a magnificent event, and we could not have done it without you, and so thank you to all of our volunteers and everyone who donated their time and candy and whatever. So we are in a series in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you might be opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to conclude chapter 1 this morning. And we're looking at this church in ancient Corinth that was a little bit messy. It has, has people from all kinds of different backgrounds, people with all kinds of different problems. And, and the church is, is, is not perfect. And we understand that. We understand that, that we are a, a church of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, but, but we are individuals who have certain flaws and different issues going on. And so that's, that's what's happening here in Corinth. You know, to be a, a Christian is to be a part of a countercultural movement. And this is something that I often point out. But, but why? Why must Christianity be counter to what we find in our culture and what we find in the world. Well, it's because of passages like the one that we're going to look at this morning. This is a passage that contrasts the wisdom of the cross with the wisdom of the world. And so I'm going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord. For the word of the cross is folly And so you you heard some language in there that Paul uses over and over again, wisdom and foolishness. Ancient Greece was this place that was known for wisdom. It, It was the home of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and they had lived just a few hundred years before this letter was written. But their legacy, it still lived on. And the verse just before this, Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so rhetoric and and wisdom, they they were still a big deal in Greece and in Corinth. The, The city and the church were divided because people were following different speakers uh, who were sharing different bits of wisdom and philosophy. And we saw this last week when we looked at the division within the church. And so Corinth was a place uh, of many ideas and and people were just following whatever sounded the best. And we may think back to these ancient times and and consider them to be foreign. You know, we, we no longer follow old men who wear white robes and just sit around all day contemplating life. We do not meet in public squares to hear philosophers pontificate on the matters of the day. And so all of this seems a little bit strange to us, but is it really? What do we do? We turn on the TV and we listen to Talking Heads. We download podcasts or we tune in to talk radio to hear people um, speak about the issues of our day. And we follow people on social media to hear what they have to say. And so perhaps ancient Greece is not as foreign as we make it out to be. Worldly wisdom is not something that was just present in Corinth. It's something that is present in every age. Because you see, we all live by wisdom. The question is, what kind of wisdom are we living by? Worldly wisdom is something that is accepted by a significant amount of people. It's something that that people in society, they embrace and they live by. And so you'll hear sort of common phrases and ideas that permeate the culture. What are some of these phrases, and ideas. I, I just listed a few here, but he who dies with the most toys wins. You kind of see this on bumper stickers sometimes. My body, my choice. You see this on signs at rallies. Well, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then it must be okay. One that's a little bit older, but still true, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. And a common one today, follow Your heart. And so, when considering philosophies, there's one important question that we must ask, and it's this what is the telos? You're going to learn one Greek word this morning, telos. And telos is a Greek word that means end or fulfillment. And so, we're asking what is the aim or what is the goal of this philosophy? Where does this Philosophy. Where does this wisdom, this belief, where does it lead? What will I become by following this philosophy? And these are important questions because some philosophies, they sound good. But they may not lead to an ultimate good. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like a good philosophy. But when we put it in the Perspective of eternity, it falls short. In fact, Paul references this philosophy in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. He says that it would be a good philosophy if there was no resurrection. But there is a resurrection and so we should live by a philosophy that has more depth and meaning. A philosophy like eat, drink, and be merry has no It's all about the moment. And a lot of worldly philosophies are like this. They, They don't look beyond. They're just stuck in the moment. And so worldly philosophies usually have a hint of truth. Or they may sound good in certain contexts. But they fall short when we consider their aim. And so think about some of the ones that we've already mentioned He who dies with the most toys wins. This is a materialistic philosophy. It's about amassing possessions. And most of us like things. We like houses and cars and clothes and whatever else we buy, guns and fishing equipment or dresses, whatever it is. We have things that we desire, things that we want. And so this philosophy on some level appeals to us But at another level, we know it's a lie. We know that possessions do not lead to happiness and fulfillment. Rich and affluent people struggle with depression just like the rest of us, and sometimes even more so. Having too many possessions can corrupt a person, especially children and adolescents. And so if you give a child whatever they want and you never tell them no, then they become spoiled. And so it's nice to have things, but this is a philosophy that does not lead to a good end. Then there's my body, my choice. And Paul addresses this one specifically in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, where he says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And so we we learn here that our bodies have a purpose. They're not given to us so we can just do whatever we want with them. We are to use our bodies to glorify God. We are to think beyond ourselves. Because selfishness does not lead to a good end. And very similar to this one is, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. But this is not really true. Because we live in this world where we are connected to people all around us. And the decisions that we make for ourselves, they, they impact others whether we like it or not. And we're given life and we're put on this earth for more than just getting by without hurting anyone. We are here to shine our lights. We are to be the presence of God to others around us and to glorify him. And so living a life where we strive to have no effect on others, we strive not to bother anyone or hurt anyone, we just stick to ourselves, that's a life without meaning. What about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? And for many of us, I think this rings true. We we, we want to work hard. We want to be a person of grit And determination. We don't want to stop and ask for directions. We want to do it ourselves. And there's something commendable about this. But eventually this is a philosophy that will falter. It will only get us so far. There will be a time when we need help. There will be a time when we need someone else. And we cannot just do it on our own. And this is a philosophy that is contrary to the gospel. Because the gospel says that we are dependent on God. That we are dependent on him for our being, our life, our breath, and our salvation. And so we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we can do nothing apart from God. And then the one that's common today, follow your heart. Again, a popular one that, that sounds good, but then we read a passage like Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, which says the heart is deceitful above all things. Worldly wisdom says look within, trust yourself, listen to your heart. But godly wisdom says look beyond yourself. Look to Christ. Follow him. Find meaning in something other than yourself. And so when you begin to look at it, the wisdom of the world is contrary to the wisdom of God. And that's what Paul is addressing in this passage. We're all following something. What is it? We are moving in a direction. Where are we being led? And I want you to notice verse 18 again, where it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so the the direction that we are heading depends on, On how we see the cross. Is it foolishness? Is it absurd? Or is the cross the power of God? Is it the one thing that could save us? Are we living by worldly wisdom or are we living by the wisdom of the cross? Because that makes a difference. The the telos, the end, the goal of the philosophy of the cross is for us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. It is for us to die to self and to be made alive in Christ. It is to embrace a way of living that is shaped by the cross. And so the end of the philosophy of the cross is salvation. It is to become like Jesus and, and to live with him forever. And so what does a philosophy of the cross look like here and now? It looks like choosing weakness over power. This is something that Paul specifically mentions in in the text. It looks like choosing contentment over consumerism. It looks like choosing chastity over sexual freedom. It looks like looking not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. It looks like sacrifice and forgiveness. Like practicing grace and mercy. It looks like turning the other cheek and loving our enemies. It looks like caring for widows, orphans, and the least of these. It looks like showing hospitality to strangers. This philosophy, this wisdom, is foolishness, to the world. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. How do we know that Jesus is for real? How do we know he is who he says he is? We know because no human would have come up with this plan. It's foolishness to Gentiles. It's a stumbling block to Jews. And so Jesus is either insane or he is the Son of God. And those are the options. There's no in-between. And the foolishness of the cross is yet another reason for us to believe in Jesus. This is not the wisdom of men. It is the wisdom of God. And we see this throughout the Gospels. We see it with Jesus' closest companions. They expect a military leader or a political leader. They expect a leader who is going to march on Rome and and take revenge for all the mistreatment and persecution that they have endured. Because this is the worldly way. We want to trust in strength and power. But God chooses the cross. He chooses crucifixion. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God chooses love and sacrifice. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who does this? God does it. He lays down his life for the ungodly. He sacrifices for sinners. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. God's ways are not our ways. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. We're talking about a different kind of wisdom. A wisdom that is not found in this world. And we see it in the cross. But we see it in other places as well. Jesus lived the way of the cross before he went to the cross. He showed us a wisdom that comes from above. And it's on display through, through, throughout his teachings and his interactions with others. We see it, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This is the wisdom of the cross. It's foolishness to tax collectors and Gentiles. The world does not act this way. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so I ask you this morning what are you boasting in? Is it your things? Your toys? Your possessions? Is it your body and what you do with it? Is it your freedom to do whatever you want? Is it your own ability and strength? Is it yourself and whatever truth you come up with? Because all of that is worldly wisdom, it's the pathway to perishing. It does not lead to a good end. But what leads to a good end is what the world considers foolishness. It is the cross and the way of the cross. And we have a choice. What will we choose? Will it be what seems natural and what makes sense? Will it be what Everyone around us is choosing. Will it be what we hear proclaimed on 24 hour news networks and on social media platforms? Or will it be the foolishness of God that is wiser than men and the weakness of God that is stronger than men? It won't make sense to the world but it leads to a good end. And all that it requires is for us willing to be a fool for God. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your wisdom A wisdom that we do not find in the world. A wisdom that only comes from you. A wisdom that we read about in your word. May we reject the wisdom of this world and cling to the wisdom that is from above. So that others may see a difference. So that they may see the blessings that come from you. We are so grateful that Jesus chose the way of the cross. That he taught us how to live, but that he also made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have forgiveness. And so that we could live a better way. We're thankful for this. And I pray that we would cling to the cross and that we would live by it each and every day. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Won't you stand and receive this blessing from the book of Numbers? May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.